What would have happened had Jonas Salk continued in his routine of life instead of devoting himself to a cure that would help so many children? What would have happened if the wonderful and horrible routine of life had not been interrupted? Some of you who are new here need to know that we are in a transition period. Beginning in 1991, we are going to be going through a radical 10-year process of spiritual maturity. You know, there's more than one way to cure church growth. One is to offer a Saturday and Monday evening service, and the other one is to call for radical commitment. We're doing both. Our numbers may thin because what we will be calling for is a violent interruption of our routine. What I want to get across this morning is that in order to maximize our usefulness to the Lord, we have to be interrupted. Not everything we need can come through the dynamic of growth. Growth is incremental. But only newness can happen with suddenness. Or only suddenness can bring newness. Newness, by its very definition, does not evolve. It happens suddenly or does not happen at all. Now let me read for you the scripture this morning, and as I read this scripture, I will tell you about a life that was very much much interrupted, was not the first one that God ever interrupted, will not be the last one that God ever interrupted, but it is rather God's modus operandi in the scripture to disturb routine, to call for radical interruption. In the first chapter of Matthew, In the 18th verse, we read, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. Now let me just pause for a minute and say, this is no pun intended. I do not know of a more pregnant verse in all the Bible than this one. Can you imagine a young girl, 14, 15 years old, betrothed, which was the legal marriage. That was all all the legality you needed in marriage. The actual conjugal relationship did not come until some time later, but at the time of your betrothal, you were legally married. Betrothed to a young man. Do you remember what it was like when you were about to be married? Your plans How you would do this and then you would do that and it would come out like this? Do you remember, wives, because I suspect if the rest of the husbands were bums like I was, we all said, thinking that we were helpful, anything you want to do, which is French for, don't get me involved in the details. (laughs) I will just do whatever you want to do. And some of you who had to work with your mothers which is not an easy order anyhow for some relationships, 
planned out your wedding virtually with your mother instead of your fiance. And you will remember that every detail that went wrong, it looked like the whole world was caving in. It felt like the whole world was caving in. What would it be like to be a young teenager in a very strict society? Pregnant. I wonder how long it took her to tell Joseph. Did you ever wonder that? How long she waited before she ever even got the courage to tell Joseph that she was pregnant. I wonder what went through Joseph's mind when he first found out, absolutely crushed, thinking he had a young lady who he could trust. Here was Mary and Joseph, both of their futures violently interrupted in no easy way. You know what? We need to be interrupted. We cannot get all of what we need in our Christianity by incremental processes. It just doesn't happen. If you will go through scriptures again and again and again and again, God directly intervenes only by interruption. Think of the definition of divine intervention. Does divine intervention happen by natural processes? No, it's just the opposite definition. Natural processes happen by themselves. It's all mechanical. But when there is divine intervention, there is an interruption. And that's how he did it again and again and again. He interrupted Abraham's comfortable life to call him out from his people and to set him on a journey, the destination of which... Abraham did not know. He interrupted Moses' comfortable life. Can you imagine that for crying out loud? But, you know, all the pressure of having to, to be raised in, the, in, the, in the, the household of the Pharaoh and have all of the governing responsibilities. And all of a sudden, he's out in the middle of the desert tending sheep and getting mellow. He's got good in-laws. He's got a good wife. He's got a good job. Everything's going fine. And he sees a little light in the mountains. And he gets curious. And he goes. And God dumps on him the most profound interruption. God says, I've heard the cries of my people. My heart yearns for them. And I want you to be the one to set them free. And what happens? Moses starts backpedaling immediately. He's thinking, oh, this, this shepherd job is not such a bad deal, you know? And, and, and then he starts making excuses. Of course, he doesn't tell the Lord about how much he likes his job. He just says, well, God, I've got a speech impediment, you know? I don't talk very well. God says, who made mouths, Moses? You're the man. But God, there's got to be somebody. No, you're the person. Now, at that point, God, Moses has a, has a uh, choice, doesn't he? He could put back, he could put his sandals back on and run like crazy, you know, thinking he just had a bad dream. Or he can accept the tremendous interruption of his life. Think about Saul. 
Here's Saul. Has everything going for him. Think he has a whole, thinks he has a whole world by the tail. Even has this wonderful group to persecute. And he's riding along the road. And literally gets knocked on his can by the very Lord he's been persecuting. Interrupted in the worst possible way because now he has to admit he's been wrong all along. What a violent interruption. And he had a choice. He'd go around like this for a long time. Or he could go with what God had given him to do. The cross was an interruption. Pentecost was an interruption of a wonderful prayer meeting. Wonderful, safe prayer meeting. They could have stayed there forever, loved one another. But they got interrupted by Pentecost. Interruption after interruption after... Turn to the first chapter of the Gospel of Mark with me. Let me show you something. Jesus had a ministry of interruption. His ministry was literally interruption. 16th verse. We'll just read through the first chapter of Mark. And as he was going along by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net in the sea, for they were fishermen. Routine. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. No, how do you do? No, hello, I'm Jesus. Glad to meet you. Just looked at him, said, follow me. Total interruption of the day. What happened? And they immediately left their nets and followed him. Look at the next one. I like the next one. And going on a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were also in the boat, mending the nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father in the boat with hired servants. I mean, they're dead. They didn't have time to climb out of the boat. And they went with him. Doesn't record any words of exclamation. They just got up and went. This is, a, this is a lifetime business. This is the father's business. This is their, their, their worldly father's business. No thank you, no how do you do, ma'am. They just went. Read on with me. And he went into the, to Capernaum immediately on the Sabbath. He entered the synagogue and, became, uh, and began to teach. And the Bible says, which was his custom? That was his custom to do that. Routine, Right? And they were amazed at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one of having authority, not as the scribes. And just then there was a synagogue, in a synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out. Another interruption. What have we to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. And Jesus rebuked him, saying, be quiet and come out of him. The church service was interrupted. <gasps> Somebody said something that wasn't in the liturgy. Oh, no. Somebody actually said something to, that, that made me look up. A whole time of interruption. And not only that, but Jesus himself was interrupted. He not only interrupted people, he himself was interrupted. Keep reading with me. And immediately after they had come out of the synagogue, they came to Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law was lying sick with a fever, and immediately he spoke to him about her. Jesus just wanted a little supper. 
And he goes in the house and there's somebody to heal. So he heals her. And he came to her and raised her up and took her by the hand and the fever left her and she waited on them. Now they had supper. And when, even, after, and when evening had come, after the sun had set, what do you like to do after supper? Can I kick back? Watch a little Bart Simpson? Huh? Relax a little bit? Bubble gum for the mind? You think that's what Jesus did? It may be what he wanted to do, but look what it says. And they began bringing to him all who were ill and those who were demon-possessed. How would you like after supper to, <laughs> to say, your wife goes, there's somebody at the door. Who is it? It's all the demon-possessed of the neighborhood. <laughs> Wonderful. Bring them on in. Huh? Interrupted. Interrupted. And the whole city gathered at the door. Man, no TV tonight. And he healed many who were ill with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he was not permitting the demons to speak because they knew who he was. Now watch this. So he goes to sleep. And he wants to get, he still is looking for some sort of routine. And in the early morning, while it was still dark, he arose and went out and departed to a lonely place. Finally, he gets some peace and quiet. And he was praying there. Look at the next verse. And Simon and his companions hunted for him and they found him. And he said to them, and, and, and said to him, everybody's looking for you. And what did he say? Time out, guys. This is my prayer time. Don't you guys have any respect for God? Is that what he said? No. Look what he said. Well, let's go somewhere else to the towns nearby in order that I may preach there also. For that is what I came out for. Interruption. Jesus had a whole ministry of interruption. His life was interrupted constantly. Sometimes by good things, sometimes by bad things. Although you can't always tell, and we'll, we'll talk about that in a minute. God had a plan for his life, and he had a plan for practically every biblical character that I can remember. From Jonah and David on through to those who were called in the New Testament. A plan of interruption, not of gradual growth, not of getting better and better, but a plan of absolute disruption of their life by something they could not avoid. They had to answer it. They had to respond to it. Shakespeare wrote in the Twelfth Night, some are born great, some achieve greatness. And some have greatness thrust upon them. In the biblical sense, people had greatness thrust upon them. Because all of them had tremendous disruptions in their lives. There was no easy way to get from who they were, were to who God wanted them to be. There was no easy way. There was no routine way. Well, what happens when you're interrupted? What's your first reaction? Joseph will show us. First reaction is to cope. You know, I, well, I know what to do here. Go to plan B. Joseph said in verse 19, And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her. Now remember, in, in, in this time, a woman who had been proven to commit adultery in marriage would be stoned, would be killed. Joseph was a nice guy. He didn't want to do that. So 
he desired to put her away secretly. But when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For that which has been conceived in her is one of the Holy Spirit. Now, two things here. When your life is disrupted by something that seems very awful, that's something that you know will never let you live the same way again. Let me tell you two things to remember. Number one. Remember not just to fall back on your natural coping skills. Because almost always you will be avoiding the problem. You will be avoiding what God is trying to draw out of that problem for you. Try not to deal well with it. Try to deal in a lousy way with it. Try to fall on your face and need God because of it. If you can cope, you will not accept what God has to offer. Later, Jesus experienced that. They went to the village where they were supposed to, to uh, go. And there was no room for them. See, now we begin to see people who begin to put, back their, put their sandals back on and run. There's no room for him here. I was talking with Cecilia App last night and and in, in Mexico, they have a routine every Christmas, 12 days before Christmas. They go from house to house, and they are denied entrance, you know. There is no room. And finally, on Christmas Eve, someone lets them come in, and they have a big party. Well, there's no room. Lord, I know I, you, you're free to interrupt my life, but not right now, because I am so stretched. I'm just stressed. I can't take it. Don't interrupt my life right now. Boy, you are prime. You know that? You are prime. Because when you're not ready to be interrupted, that's the very straw that God wants to give you. And you can run. What does it say in John 1, 11? And he came to his own. And they received him not. You have in your power... The power to deny, the power to avoid violent and what seem to be terrible interruptions in your life. You can run from them. But I am horrified to think that if we run from them, what we will be missing. And what we will be gaining instead. You know what we'll gain? Just a continual stench of the routine and the inadequacy of our own attempts at spiritual growth. God should be allowed to interrupt. And for some of you, he has recently, in a most disturbing way. And for some of you, he will, in the near future, in a most disturbing way. The second thing I want to tell you, when that happens, the Bible says you have to listen to a voice that transcends your own thinking. You have to listen to the voice of God and see what his plan is because you can't tell it in the circumstance. The very natural inclinations you have are the most dangerous to go by. I heard a story about, one time about a mother whose kid was going to be an Air Force pilot 
He was going into the Air Force, and she pulled him aside before he went in and said, Son, fly slow and low. Well, now listen, that's the worst thing you can do in a plane, unless you've got a helicopter. That's the, because flight requires speed and height in order to have safety. It's the same thing with the interruptions in our lives. When we try to cling to the world, when we try to cling to our natural inclinations to deny those interruptions and to keep them on a worldly plane, we seem to be going at it in the safest manner, but it's the most dangerous manner we could go at it. I know that's horrible English. And those of you who are listening, re-listening on the tape, forgive me. You know, you can put in, fill in your own English. But there was a story. Chinese uh, philosopher. Uh, I think his name was Ling Tang Young or something like that. I mean, that sounds Chinese, doesn't it? But I remember listening, I remember reading this when I was taking the history of China in college. Uh, and they had Chinese philosophy as a part of it. This is a really fascinating story. Um, he was a farmer and he had uh, one son and he had a horse. That was all he had. And one day his horse ran away. And so his neighbors, being good neighbors, came over to console him on his terrible bad fortune. And he looked at him and he said, how do you know it's bad fortune? And they looked at him like he was crazy and they all walked away. Well, three days later, his horse comes back leading a whole herd of wild horses. And he corrals them all. Now he's got a lot of horses. And his neighbors come over. And they congratulate him on his good fortune. And he looks at him and he says, how do you know this is good fortune? So they go home. A week later, his son is trying to break one of the horses, falls off, breaks his leg. Here comes the neighbor's kid. <laughs> Consoling him on his bad fortune. How do you know? It's bad fortune. <laughs> a week after that, China breaks out into a war. They come and conscript every able-bodied young boy to go fight in that war. Of course he can't go. He has a broken leg. <laughs> Congratulate. And it goes on and on and on. You understand? You can't know the interruptions in your life as to their goodness or their badness from the perspective when you receive that interruption. You can't even judge probably where it's coming from. You can only know who has allowed it because he works all things to good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. That's what you need to remember. We need to be able to be interrupted in whatever manner God has because he works all things to good. Read on with me. But when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him, saying in a dream, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. Go back to plan A. We were right in the first place. When we first met Christ, I want to give myself to you anything you want to do with my life. That's what I want you to do. And then we got these misfortunes. We said, well, uh, let me just cope. 
uh, and then I'll be right with you. No, we were right in the first place. Anything you want to do with my life. Anything. Okay. Don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For that which has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bear a son. And you will call his name Jesus. For it is he who will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place. That what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet might be fulfilled. Saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child, and shall bear a son. And they shall call his name Emmanuel, God with us. Will you please notice that he is called Emmanuel and not Telios? Telios is the word for completion. Telios is the word for achievement. Telios is the word for perfection. That is not God's main interest in this world. He did not say by Jesus' birth that I am calling you to be perfect like I am perfect. Although it says that in Matthew. And certainly that is a concern and a goal and a drive. But the purpose that God calls us to is not perfection. We love our little routines. You know why? Because by our routines we accomplish if we can just keep on our routine, then we can get something going that's good enough to accomplish something else. But God doesn't call us to accomplishment. He calls us to, to togetherness with Him. And you tell me, when are you more together with God than when you need Him more than anybody in the world? Hmm? Let me ask you a question. Is... Are you pretty close to what you've always wanted to be in life? Are you, is, it, is, it, are you, is it just right? I mean, are you just right, almost perfect? Or have you got a long way to go? And let me ask you this. If you've got a long way to go, how will you ever grow there? How, there, isn't enough, there aren't enough years in this world to grow incrementally to who we want to be. There aren't enough years. When does accelerated growth come? When there is tremendous shaking of the tree. Remember Nicodemus when he went out to Jesus? Jesus, listen, uh, you're a good teacher. He was, he was thinking, teach me to be good like you. And what Jesus, Jesus said, you've got to be born again. You've got to start entirely all over. You've got to become a brand new person. Born again? He couldn't even conceive. He thought, maybe if I grew enough in my religiosity, someday I would get there. And Jesus knew what he was searching for, and he says, no way. There is no way. You have to be so interrupted. Ah, oh, rats. I'm going to interrupt my own message, because I want some prayer time. So I want you to have some prayer time this morning. Let me... Let me just offer you this. Some of you are going through a time that will be radically challenging for you. There's no way if you continue in the way you're going right now, you'll ever be able to cope. I mean, it's just not there. Some of you who ha have loved ones who are going through that right now, and unless they can can 
have God's divine intervention in their lives, they will never grow out of it incrementally. There needs to be a huge change. There needs to be a big change in your life, in their life. I want you to pray this morning. And I want to take just a little time up here for those of you who would like to come forward and pray. And, and elders, if there's any elders in here, let me have you. Where, where are you? Where are the elders? All right, Tom, kneel down over there. Anybody, any other elders here? Okay, thanks, buddy. And Marcia and Bill, would you come up and pray with folks too? And John and Dolly, would you guys pray with folks too? Let me just offer you a chance to do something that I want to do for myself. I sense there, there have been no tremendous interruptions in my life, but I sense one coming. I, I just sense that God's going to do something in my life personally, and I need a time to say, God, I will not run when it comes. And I'm going to do that right now. And for you who are going through an interruption, I want you to say, God, I'm taking my sandals back off and I'm going to stay on this holy ground. I'm not going to run. I'm not going to deny it. I'm not going to crawl back into my routine, which I love slash hate. I want whatever you have for me. Would you pray with us right now?